And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome into another Monday edition of the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hope everyone's week is off to a great start. Like Jared Kelnick's career, homering for his first big league hit on Friday night. I'm Tim McMaster, along with Ken Rosenthal. On Mondays, we open up the mailbag for all your questions for Ken. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Tim. How are you? Uh, I am good. I'm in New York where it's beautiful. You're in San Diego where you said we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, that it's actually raining. So I feel blessed, I guess, as far as that goes. Well, the rain here actually would be more of a mist, but it is raining. The ground is wet. So it's kind of shocking for San Diego. And I guess in the months of May and June, I did not know this. I'm sure native San Diegans are well aware, but (laughs) May and June are the grayer months. And it's gray. It's been gray since I've been here. Yeah. So if you're going to San Diego, that's the only time you shouldn't go because it's right. pretty much beautiful. The <laughs> and even then, it's yeah. pretty nice. <laughs> the other 10 months. Um, well, you're in San Diego because you were covering the Padres-Cardinals game on Saturday night. And it has been a crazy week for the Padres. They took two of three from the Rockies earlier in the week. Uh, they took the first two games of the series with the Cardinals. We're recording before the Sunday night game. But they've done that without Fernando Tetis Jr., without Eric Hosmer, without Will Myers, without Jerks and Profar, other guys, all because of COVID, Ken. And it's something that some teams really have had to deal with here and keep playing, which is can't be easy. No, it's not easy. And I know a lot of fans, Tim, have had questions in recent weeks about why certain teams keep playing and why certain teams don't. And the long and short of it is this. Here's the short of it. Teams that are compromised competitively, well, yes, that's going to happen, but you get players from the alternate site or now AAA, and you keep going as long as you can fill your roster with substitutes. If you can do that, you're fine. The only reason baseball will postpone games, and we've seen this happen twice with the Nationals and Twins, is if there are health and safety reasons, really a fear of an outbreak. Now, you might say, well, hold on. Why are we not afraid of an outbreak with the Padres? Why weren't we afraid of an outbreak with the Astros? And I'll try to explain it a little bit. We'll start with the Nationals. That goes back to opening day. If you remember, they had nine players who were affected, four positives, five through contact tracing. And at the time, they were playing the Mets, and that's a close division rival. So baseball felt, okay, we can reschedule this easily. And they were expecting that cluster of positives because of what the contact tracing was telling them. So those combination of factors gave MLB extra reason to be cautious. Now, then you had the Astros and the Twins. And the Astros are in much the same position the Padres are in now. Five position players down, including some really good ones. Remember, it was Bregman, it was Maldonado, it was Altuve, Alvarez and Robles Garcia. 
But the Astros had just one positive test. Never thought, or MLB never thought, that there was an outbreak on the horizon. And the same is true with the Padres. Two positive tests. MLB just does not feel that because of the contact tracing and what we've been establishing, that there is going to be more trouble. So they can keep going. Now, one example of kind of the opposite was the Twins. The Twins had roughly the same number of positives, if I'm not mistaken. They might have had one or two more. But what happened there was that some of the testing came back right before game started. They couldn't be contact tracing, and it just, in the view of the league, was the best thing to do to postpone. Now, these are all different situations. The Yankees, too, are a different situation with what's happening there. They've only had one player test positive. That's why they've continued to play. And MLB acknowledges their subjectivity here. It kind of gets sometimes like you're splitting atoms. But those are the basic reasons. Again, health and safety, if that's a question, they're going to postpone games. If it's not a question, if you can replace your players, as the Padres have done, and they had great efforts last night from Kivlahan, from Andrioli, and from O'Grady, those are three guys who were released last year, well, then you're going to keep playing. So there's another factor here I want to get into as well, Tim, and it's the competitive disadvantage some teams are facing when their players are not fully vaccinated. And we're seeing it with the Padres. If you are fully vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine the way a non-vaccinated player does. In fact, as long as you're not showing symptoms, you can keep playing. But if you're not fully vaccinated, and you are a close contact of a player who tests positive, then you're down as well. You're quarantined. And that can happen again and again through the course of the season. So that's one difference between being vaccinated and not. And the other is if you're fully vaccinated and test positive, and then before the 10 days are up, you test negative twice and are asymptomatic, then you can come back as well. So because of the protocols and the way they work, a team that is not fully vaccinated or has players that are not fully vaccinated, those players might have to quarantine due to close contact where players who are vaccinated would not. I know it's a little confusing. It's a lot to take on at once, but these protocols keep evolving and that's where we are now with it. And it just seems, Tim, that even as far as we've come as a country, this is still a big issue in baseball and is going to continue to be a big issue in baseball, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, a sport in which teams play every single day is obviously always going to have a little more of an impact. You think back to the NFL and, and week to week, it's it's a little bit easier to kind of handle these things. The one thing I wanted to bring up to you, Ken, is the, the one other factor in all this, I think, is the 85% mark, right, which has kind of helped the Yankees out um, once teams hit that 85% full vaccination rate. They don't have to wear the masks in general either, which is where the Yankees were and why the Yankees, not because of the masks, but why the Yankees have kind of continued here despite the positive test, right? That's one more thing into this. Is Has Major League Baseball had any talk about changing that little rule that, hey, once you get to 85%, you don't have to worry about the masks as much? Well, that is in place. That yep. right now is happening. If you get to 85%, the protocols are relaxed, including in the dugouts and the bullpen, you do not have to wear masks. Now, you've seen the Yankees kind of put their masks back on, even though they're at 85 percent. Boone has, at least, because of concern that so many people were either testing positive or in close contact. So 
85% is a goal of teams, and it does get them to relax the protocols. And in the case of the Yankees, it kind of matches up with what I was talking about earlier. They are essentially a fully vaccinated team. And yes, it enables them to keep going and not have their schedule affected and not have their opponents' schedules affected because of the confidence baseball has with players who are vaccinated. Again, I know this is a lot. I know it's complicated, and I know it might seem to certain fans of certain teams unfair a little bit, but that's the way they're going, and those are the explanations I was given, and right now that's where it is. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation and and kind of simplifies it for everybody out there. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved in the mailbag next week or get your voice on the show, also you can call the hotline at 646-543-7072. You can also email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. We're going to start with the voicemail, Ken, the first one coming from St. Louis, the team that was playing the Padres this weekend. Hi, my name is Andy. I'm from St. Louis. First of all, love the show. And my question is, do the Cardinals have the most improved offense in baseball this year? Thanks. Andy, actually, the team with the most improved offense in baseball, at least through the games of Saturday, was the Cincinnati Reds. They're up 1.3 runs per game. They averaged 4.05 last year. They're averaging 5.35 this year, leading the majors. And they went from 28th to 1st. So that's the most improved offense. Now, specifically to the Cardinals, they are improved. They were 24th last year in runs per game. That's how I calculate it. And then this year, they're 12th. So that's a pretty big jump, 12 spots. They're averaging 4.43 runs per game. And clearly, we've seen with them a more solid offense. It's a big difference when you have two sluggers. Arenado and Goldschmidt, as opposed to one, which they've had the last couple of years, just with Goldie. And it's also a big difference to having those two switch hitters at the top of the lineup. Katie Wu wrote about this in The Athletic recently. I'm talking about Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson. So they look like a pretty solid group overall. No obvious weaknesses. They've got a lot of depth in their rotation. Their bullpen's been used a lot, in part because they're winning so many games. And that's a concern, but they feel pretty good about that as well. Their outfield defense is much improved. Those guys fly around all over the place. So right now, it's a pretty impressive-looking group. Obviously, with the young down, that takes away a little bit. But, yes, this is a better offense and a better team overall. All right. Another question on the Padres. This one comes from email and it comes from Albert, who's out in San Diego. And he says he saw a great article in the local paper this week about Tony Gwynn and whether he could hit in this era of baseball with the high velocity pitchers everywhere. And his question is, what would Tony Gwynn do against the shift? Hit 400, 500? Could Tony hit in this era? Thanks. Tony Gwynn could hit in any era. And if you remember, what was his specialty? The 5-6 hole. A left-handed hitter putting the ball between shortstop and third base, going the other way. Teams would not have been able to shift against Tony Gwynn the way they shift against left-handed hitters for the most part today. He was a different kind of hitter. Amazing back control. The velocity question is a better one because that's something we don't know. He didn't face guys throwing 98 98, 97, coming out of the bullpen, all throwing at that high velocity. Starters throwing three innings of high velocity. 
that's a difference in the game today, a big difference, actually. But I believe Tony Quinn could have handled it, could have figured it out, and would have been a great hitter, just as he was a great hitter in his time. This is one of the most unique players ever in the history of the game, one of the best hitters in the history of the game. And I just think his skills would have translated even in this high-velocity age. Do you think he would have been tempted at all with what a lot of players are doing, Ken, and that is trying to lift the ball more? Or would he have stayed true to who Tony Gwynn was? Tim, I don't know. That's a good question. And certainly, yes, the launch angle era is upon us, and players are taking that approach. But it seems to me Tony Gwynn would have been Tony Gwynn. And that was good enough and granted Things are looked at differently today. Things are valued differently, certainly. But he was a guy, if you remember, was one of the first players really to dive into video. So he was kind of where all these guys are now. Now, he didn't have the analytics that the players do now, but I trust he would have used that to his advantage as well. So possibly he might have been even better because of the information available. It's just something we don't know. It's a cool question, and I like it, but I just think he would have been fine. Yeah, more than so. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hall of Famer. Um, all right, uh, next back to voicemail. Staying on the West Coast. Hey, Ken. My name is Dylan, and I'm from California. And with the Giants currently in first at the NL West, but still have the Dodgers and Padres in the division, what do you see from them at the trade deadline and potentially in the next offseason with like up to eighty million dollars coming off the caps? Thank you. The Giants are a really interesting team in every way right now. So let's start with the trade deadline because. My anticipation was they probably would be out of contention and they'd have all those starting pitchers on one-year contracts like Gossman and they'd be able to make some really interesting moves. Now, the way they're playing, I don't know that they're going to go in that direction. They may stay and either try to buy or kind of just keep their team where it is. If they stay in contention, their biggest need clearly, in my view, would be the bullpen. Runs per game, they're right in the middle of the pack. They're 15th. The rotation ERA is second in the majors. Their rotation has been brilliant. But their bullpen is in the bottom third in ERA, in opponents' OPS, fourth highest rate of inherited runners scoring. It's not been a consistent bullpen except for Tyler Rogers, who's been brilliant. So that is an area at the deadline, certainly, that they can look to address. Other teams will look to improve their bullpens as well that's the case every deadline so that's something just we'll have to see play out see where they are in two and a half months that's the deadline is two and a half months away (laughs) and then they can determine just what they'll do as for the offseason that's going to be fascinating we've been waiting for this offseason for the giants more specifically the giants and the fans have been waiting because they have the money coming off the payroll so many guys on expiring contracts and they of course have the resources to go out and do something big. If you remember, they were in on Giancarlo Stanton a few years back. They were in on Bryce Harper. They have the capability to sign an elite free agent. I expect they're going to be active on one of the big shortstops, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Javier Baez, whoever it might be. And they're going to have to address the starting pitching because, as I mentioned, that entire group, the top five, Gossman, Disclafani, Wood, the, the group, Cueto, except for Logan Webb, they're all on one-year deals. And they're going to have to pick and choose 
And if they don't sign certain guys, they're going to have to look at other guys. And that's going to be an area of great flexibility for them, but as well as great need. So that's going to be an interesting offseason. They're going to be one of the teams to watch in the offseason, no doubt about that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we have another Giants fan, uh, this one from email, and this one from Edinburgh, Scotland. We continue to kind of stretch out the the listenership, Ken, for the show. Uh, He says, I'm quite new to your podcast, but loving it so far. I'm enjoying the Giants being above the Dodgers and the Padres while it lasts. A little bit of realism there. I wanted to ask you about injuries, though. There seems to be a lot of early season injuries across all of Major League Baseball, not including the COVID tests. Over here with football players, and he means soccer, We say that you can be fit, but not match fit, and you can train as much as you want, but nothing compares to actually playing. Do you think that the shortened season last year in 2020 has contributed to injuries this year? This is a great question, and thank you for it. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and injuries are up. There's no doubt about that. It's being monitored, and you can see the muscle pulls are occurring at a great frequency. We're taping this on a day when the Mets just lost McNeil and Conforto, both to hamstring injuries. And it's a problem. The question is, why is it a problem? Why is it occurring? April is always a month where you see a greater number of muscle injuries. And that's not surprising. And we saw that again in April. And the question of whether the 60 game to 162 ramp up is affecting things is one we don't know the answer to yet. And I don't know that it's that in itself, because theoretically, if you're going from 60 to 162 and you're fearing that the greater amount of games is going to take a toll, that probably should take place later in the season, not earlier. But what I think might be happening, and this is speculation, is that last year was such a strange season. The players ramped up in spring training, then, of course, We had the shutdown, they ramped up again in a second spring training, and then they played a 60-game sprint. It was not normal. Now, they had a normal offseason, that's true. But even with a normal offseason and a normal spring training, that variance in their everyday routine, their annual routine, that might be having an impact. And it's really disturbing because as a sport, you want your best players on the field. And... Baseball has a hard time keeping its best players on the field. And we've seen any number of things that we can talk about this season that would indicate that. We could talk about practically every team. Corey Seager, Saturday night, gets hit in the hand. He's out for a while. So I don't know what the answer is. 
I do know or I do feel that the 60 to 162 at some level, maybe better put 2020 to 2021, is having an impact. The extent, the exact nature of it, it's hard to say, but let's just say the trend is rather disturbing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see at the minor league level, right? Because it, you had 60 games for the major leaguers. The minor leaguers just had the, they didn't really have real games and they're getting back to it now too. So it'll be interesting to follow that. That's a great point, Tim. Uh, all right, another voicemail. Here we go. Hi, my name is Renee Deckert. I'm just calling with one question, but it's a doozy. What in the world is going on with the Colorado Rockies? <laughs> Fans everywhere want to know. Thank you so much. Bye. Good luck with that one, Ken. Renee, that is a doozy of a question, and a lot of people do want to know what's going on with the Rockies. But this is not exactly a surprise, what we're seeing. Going into the season, and we wrote about them. We wrote about their internal issues, Nick Groke and I, and all the problems that they were having, which led to the resignation of general manager Jeff Breidich. But going into the season, Pakoda, the projection system baseball prospectus uses, had them at 62-100. and 100. That matched the Pirates for the worst record in the majors. Fangraphs had them at 67 and 95. That was tied with the Orioles behind the Pirates for the second worst record in the majors. So it wasn't as if anyone was expecting big things from this group. Well, maybe the Rockies were because their people seemed to think that their rotation was the best that they had ever assembled. Uh, no, right now it ranks 28th in the majors. Their pitching staff as a whole ranks 29th in the majors ahead of only ahem, the Angels. So John Gray has been their only decent starter. Their offense, as usual, pretty good. Seventh in runs per game, even with Blackman struggling. But overall, they're the Rockies. And they have this historic issue with the pitching and trying to get it sorted out. Their farm system isn't great. They've got the 21st ranked system, according to Keith Law, the 25th ranked system, according to Baseball America. So it's not as if wow, they can just turn it over to their kids like Seattle is doing, for instance. What's next? Well, they have an interim general manager, Bill Schmidt, one of the most respected evaluators in the game. He's been the guy behind a lot of their really good drafts. They've got a trade story, and Trevor's story is starting to come on. I expect they can do okay for him, but if you go back a couple of years ago to the Manny Machado trade, similar situation, potential free agent, the Orioles got a few okay pieces but they didn't hit the jackpot because you're dealing with a potential free agent at a high salary so they need to make some moves but it's going to take a while before they're good again and this was the point of our story basically nick and i wrote well they're down and how long is it going to take before they're back on their feet again and i don't know the answer to that right now well the white Sox were down for a little while but they've certainly turned things around and that's the uh, next question Hey, this is Kyle McDowell from Houston, Texas. I'm a huge Astros fan, but today I have a question about uh, Carlos Rondon of the White Sox. Uh, I've, I've been hearing and reading a lot about how Jacob deGrom is having one of the greatest seasons you can possibly have, or at least start to a season by a pitcher. But looking at Rondon's stats compared to deGrom's, Rondon is doing very, very similar things statistically. Why are people not talking about him as much as deGrom, at least deGrom pre-injury? Thanks a lot. I, uh, I really love the show, and, and I hope to hear back. Kyle, I like this question, too, and it's a good one. It was a better one before last night when Rodon got hit a little bit by the Royals, gave up four runs in five and two-thirds. Statistically, they are still similar, 
but DeGrom rates the edge. Neither has thrown a whole lot of innings. DeGrom's at 40. Rodon's a little bit under that. DeGrom, 0.68 ERA. That leads the majors. Rodon last night, it rose to 1.47. It's still pretty good, but it's not 0.68. DeGrom also has a 65 to 7 strikeout to walk ratio. It's ridiculous. And he is still the it guy in the game because of the velocity that he maintains. Rodon, remember, was non-tendered last December. The White Sox signed him back, and it's a great story. And everyone around the game is happy for him and impressed, but he's still not Jacob deGrom just yet. All right, we have another email, this one from Jesse Swinier. Hey, Ken, do you think the Red Sox are just an anomaly in the game? They go the other way with hits. They can have a walk, a single, hit a double the other way, and then blast a home run all in the same inning. Not sure if it's money ball approach because they have J.D. and Bogarts and Devers who are highly paid, but they just understand the art of hitting, it seems. Thoughts? It's a good point, Jesse, but I'm not sure they're an anomaly. I actually looked up on Fangraphs entering Sunday where they ranked opposite field percentage. And they were eighth, which is obviously good, top third of the league. And their pull percentage was 20th, and their up-the-middle percentage was kind of in the middle. So, yes, they do go to all fields. That's a fair observation and a good one, and probably a key to their success. They're fourth in the majors in runs per game. They're second in the American League behind only Houston. So offensively, they've been outstanding. There's no doubt about that. And it really starts with the big four. And you mentioned J.D. and Bogarts and Devers and Verdugo. Those guys have been at the heart of what they're doing. And rather than classify them as a group one way or the other, I would just classify them as good hitters, not necessarily opposite field guys or pull guys. These are players who are accomplished and proficient at what they do. And that, to me, is why they are having success. And they've also gotten contributions at various times from Christian Vasquez, lately from Dahlbeck even. And they just seem to be a team that, under Alex Cora, is a different group or different. there's a different vibe about them than there was last year. In the 60-game season under Ron Renneke, it was just a disjointed effort, a disjointed team, a disjointed season. Not just for them either. So this is more like it. This is the Red Sox offense we expect. And yes, it's been good to all fields. And somehow they've done it, the pitching this year too. I think that's the biggest surprise is, is what uh, Bloom has been able to put together on that pitching staff. Uh, somehow they've been getting it done. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. 
Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, one more question, this one on the voicemail. Hi, Ken. Do you think Shohei Otani is more likely to have a four-home run game or a no-hitter in his career? This might be my favorite question of the week. And (laughs) it's such a fascinating thing because there's only one player we could even ask this question about, and of course it's Otani. And the other day, Jason tweeted some ridiculous Otani numbers, or maybe he tweeted the link to his column that had ridiculous Otani numbers. And I retweeted it saying, we don't talk about this guy enough. And yes, we talk about him a lot. And some fans, of course, snap back at me. Ah, we hear plenty about Otani. No, what he is doing is incredible. And the fact that you can ask that question, four homer game or no hitter, what do you think is more likely? That tells you we're talking about Quite an unusual talent. Now, to the question. I'm going to answer it by saying the no-hitter would be more likely, and I'm going to explain it in a couple different ways. First, based on his performance in the brief time that he's been in the majors. His second career start, his second one in 2018, seven innings, one hit. So that's no-hitter territory. Last Tuesday night, seven innings, four hits. That, again, is in the range of a no-hitter. And two homer games, he's had three of them so far in his career. Just three, two homer games, never hit three, certainly has not hit four. Now, let's broaden the lens a little bit and look to which of these feats is more common in Major League history. And by far, it's the no-hitter, not just this season either. There have been 309 no-hitters in Major League history for this season. 309. Four homer games? There have been only 18, only 18 for Homer games. The most recent were J.D. Martinez in 2017 and Scooter Jeanette in 2017. So the likelihood of a player hitting four home runs in a game versus a no-hitter as a pitcher, well, the likelihood is much less that a player would hit four homers. So I'm going to go with the no-hitter, but I will say this. Nothing that Shohei Otani might do can surprise us anymore. And he could just completely blow us away by somehow in his career doing both, right? He's the one guy who could. <laughs> Amazing. All right. 
Yeah. Uh, great questions again this week. If you want to get involved next week, you can call the voicemail line at 646-543-7072 or email us tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Ken, where are you going this week? I'm going actually to St. Louis, Cubs and Cardinals. And I will say, Tim, in closing, that this was the first week where, one, I've traveled to San Diego and also the first time that Reporters are now allowed to interview players in person, at a distance, masked up. And it happened here in San Diego. I talked to a couple of Cardinals players. And basically, baseball has relaxed its protocols for the writers. It's a team-by-team thing. The Padres did not want me talking to any players because they've had the outbreak and they're being extra careful. So it's refreshing that we are, again, getting to talk to players and coaches and managers in person. It's really something we've all missed very much and i look forward to seeing all these folks again next week in st louis and i know it's something you wrote about about way back at the beginning of the pandemic and and being able to get that opportunity again when they took reporters out of the clubhouse which was totally understandable but it is refreshing and i think you know what it means for the listeners out there and for the people who read the athletic in any newspaper or or online publication is you're going to get better stories and better information that's absolutely the case. And I can't stress it enough. I don't know that I can explain it adequately to fans out there what the difference is, but just being around people, having casual conversations, you might pick up things that you wouldn't pick up normally. You build relationships that might lead to stories later. It's just a whole different world. And it does make the athletic better. It makes every newspaper better. It's just a better experience. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that column, actually, the one that I wrote at the outset of the pandemic, because at the time, and even to this day, it seems regrettable that I wrote that, because what I was writing about was access, and I was saying, this was right before everything shut down. I was saying, okay, you want to cut access now, that's fine, but when things get back to normal, we're going to need to get back to normal. And the majority of people who read that interpreted it as saying, uh, you're kind of taking your eye off the ball here. We're having a little bit of a problem with the pandemic. And of course, it wasn't to the extent that it later became. And there was no way to really anticipate that, although I guess maybe there was. But anyway, I won't ever apologize, I don't think, for anything I've written because you write it and you got to live with it. But I don't know that the timing of that was the best. But the point does stand. The point is that access is really meaningful, not just for us, but for you as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, tune in again to us next Monday for more mailbag questions, but we'll be with you here on the Athletic Baseball Show all week long. The White Sox, we've talked about them. They're off to a great start. Jason Bonetti, their broadcaster, is going to join Jason and Doug on Tuesday. Then on Thursday, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, great guest there, Drew Robinson playing in the minor leagues again now, hit a home run uh, last week uh, in the Giants system. He's going to join them. That's a show that you definitely don't want to miss. And then Keith Law and Derek Van Riper coming up on Friday as well. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can do it right now for just $3.99 per month. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show to get that deal. For Ken Rosenthal, I'm Tim McMaster. Have a great week, everyone.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.